Let us pray. O most gracious Father, plant your word deep in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us. This great and glorious gift that you have poured upon us. And may he ever enliven our hearts as we enter into this season of Holy Lent. May we be reminded of our own mortality. And in light of that reminder, may we remember and place our hope in the immortality and life eternal that comes to us through Christ alone. This we do ask through that very same Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember, O man, that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Those are the words that we say here as you receive the ashes upon your forehead this day. That phrase goes all the way back into the Old Testament. We're reminded and we remember the creation of Adam. That out of the dust of the earth, God molded a man. And then he breathed on him and made him a living soul, a living being. But through him, sin entered into this world. And because of that sin entering into this world, he returned to the dust. For he was taken from the dust, and to dust he returned. Likewise for us today, we are the descendants of that one man who was made of dust. Because we are his descendants, marred by the very sin that he took upon himself, we shall return to the dust. And so today we are confronted with our mortality. Or really, our mortality is confronting us. This day we recognize that our sin will catch up to us. Our sin will bring us down to the ground. It will bring us down into the dust and into the ashes. Our sin will either humble us or it will humiliate us and in this time we've heard words from the book of Joel and words from Jesus as recorded in the gospel of Matthew and these words seem to stand in what you might call a contradiction to each other Joel speaks of a public fasting a public mourning a public praying for repentance and for renewal And yet Jesus says, do not do these kinds of things in public, but do them in secret. Is this really a contradiction in terms, or is it really more of an antinomy? Where you take two things that seem to contradict one another, that seem to be the opposite, yet when you look at them more deeply, you realize that they are not contradictions, but they go together. They work together. They're not opposite truths. They're not opposite claims with one of them being the truth and one being a falsehood or misunderstanding. That's a contradiction. What we have today is a tension and antinomy presented to us through the words of Joel and Matthew and Jesus in the book of Matthew. That we are about to approach 
the holy altar and be marked with ashes. And yet Jesus says, when you fast, do not go about disfiguring your face. When you pray, do not pray before the people. When you give to the needy, do not sound a trumpet. And yet Joel cried out, sound the trumpet. Call the people. Call them to repentance. Call them to sackcloth and ashes. Call them to mourning and to grief. For how can you have mourning and grief for this culture, the Jews, without sackcloth and ashes? Those go together for the ashes are the public display of the grief and the mourning that one is feeling because those ashes represent your death but also the humility and the humbleness that sin brings to one of being driven down into the ground and thus dying to who you were and to who you are in and of yourself. And so remember, O oh man, that you are to dust. You are dust. And to dust you shall return. Joel said, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Judgment is coming, declares the Lord through Joel. Judgment is coming because the people are sinners. The people have abandoned the God of the covenant. They have abandoned Yahweh, the great I Am, the one who redeemed them out of Egypt, who caused the exodus to occur. Judgment is coming upon the earth, and God's people will be swept up in that judgment because they are idolaters. They are sinners who do nothing according to God's word. It is like blackness spread over the mountains. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of mourning. But Joel goes on to record from the Lord, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Despite our sinfulness, despite our coming death, God calls out, return to me. Turn from yourself. Turn from your sin. Turn from what you are in and of yourself. And return to your Lord and Creator, your Redeemer, Come with weeping, with fasting, with mourning, yes, for your sin is great. But that weeping and fasting and mourning is a humbling of your heart. Your sin is leading you to see your humbleness, your smallness before the God of creation. But we can come to Him and rend our hearts and not our garments because He is gracious. He is merciful. He is a God full of compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Now, love that steadfast love. That is God's covenant faithfulness. That God has made a promise that He will save His people. And He saves them by calling them to Himself, by redeeming them from their sin, by declaring over them, I am your God and you are my people. You are my people and I will fulfill my covenant that I have made. So trust and believe and receive my blessings. Don't turn back to your old ways. Don't turn back to your idolatry. Don't turn back to worshiping the gods of this wicked world. But turn to me. 
Turn to me and be redeemed from that old way of life. And know the fulfilling of my covenant faithfulness, my covenant steadfastness. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. It's beautiful. Turn toward the Lord with all of your heart. Repent with fasting and weeping and mourning, and who knows, maybe he will leave the very thing that you need in order to come before him. Maybe he will leave a grain offering and a drink offering. Maybe He will provide for you the very response that is called for from where you are. The proper response to His grace. And that is what God does. For He lays the groundwork in calling us by His Word and where His Word is declared and preached, the Holy Spirit is active and working and renewing. And there our hearts begin to turn, begin to return to the Lord because we hear His Word and we're broken by His Word. When we hear of the law, you shall have no other gods before me shall worship the Lord your God alone. You shall have no idols. You shall honor the Sabbath. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall honor your father and your mother. You shall not covet that which is your neighbor's. We hear those words and we're convicted when we stop and think and hear what they truly mean that we are doing the exact opposite of what God wants us to do. Our hearts are bent in the wrong way. As soon as we hear these laws declared, our hearts begin desiring those very things, as Paul said in Romans 7. I was fine before I heard the word, do not covet, and when I heard it, my heart turned to all kinds of coveting. But yet God says, return to me with all of your heart. When you hear the word declared, when you hear the law declared, you are convicted of your sin. Your heart is returning to the Lord in that conviction. And as you repent, as you turn in faith, He leaves a blessing, the full renewal of your heart, the gift of His Holy Spirit to lead and guide you, to fill you, to bring out thankfulness, to bring out praise, to bring out holy living in you. God provides the very thing that we need to respond to His grace and kindness, to respond to His law, to respond to His grace, to respond to His gospel, His good news. And so Joel calls out for a fast to be declared, a solemn assembly, to sanctify the people before the Lord their God, to publicly display repentance, to call all of the people to repentance, and for the priests and the ministers to cry out, Spare your people, O Lord. Make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say to the peoples, why should the people say, Where is their God? The priest's prayer is for God to fulfill His covenant faithfulness. The people are responding to God's Word. So continue to fulfill your covenant faithfulness so that the peoples will not say, where is their God? Their God is so weak, He won't even respond when they do repent. And so the priests are crying out, come and come down and fulfill your faithfulness before us and before the world so that the world will see that you are an honorable, covenant-fulfilling God. That when you make a promise, you will accomplish it. Because you are the true God. But yet, we have that juxtaposition with the Gospel of Matthew as we are receiving these ashes publicly 
as we are receiving the mark of our deaths, as we are receiving the mark of our humility. Jesus says, do not do such things before the people. But there's a key word there. There's a key phrase, in order to be seen by them. If you're doing it to be seen by people, then your heart has not returned to the Lord. And that's where Joel and Matthew and Jesus perfectly agree. The Lord cries out, rend your heart, turn to me with your whole heart. And Matthew says, through, and Jesus says in Matthew, don't do these things to be seen by the public. Don't be seen doing these things in order for people to say, oh, look how righteous he is. Look how wonderful he is. Look how amazing that person is. For your heart is not returned to the Lord if you're doing it for those reasons. You receive no reward from your father if your heart is not where it is supposed to be. All of chapter 5 in Matthew is about the heart. Jesus speaks of the heart and how we are to love our enemies, how we are to not even lust or be angry towards our neighbors. That those outward things that we might be able to fulfill are ripped apart because the foundation is broken. The heart is broken. The heart is where the sin comes out of us. And so it makes sense that as soon as Jesus finishes speaking about the heart directly, he turns and says, do not practice your righteousness in order to be seen by others. And so Jesus' words are about being seen by others in order to be seen, not about the simple practices being done in public. To give and to fast. To pray in public is not wrong in and of itself. It is where your heart is. It is your heart one that recognizes that you are dust, and to dust you shall return because of sin. And thus you are coming in repentance. You are coming with a repentant heart. You're coming with sorrow over your sinfulness. You're coming with sorrow over the very fact that you are simply that, a sinner. One who is full of sin by nature, by brokenness, by the marring of Adam's sin. And if you come in that way, then you are coming to receive rightly. You are coming to receive the very grace of God, the very word of God, the very fulfillment of God's promises. That though you are dust, there is hope. Though you are dust, there is a renewal. Though you are dust and will die, there is a resurrection from the dead for all of us who believe. As St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for our sake he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, the one who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become the ones in whom God is fulfilling his righteousness the one in whom God fulfills his steadfast love and his covenant obligations, his covenant faithfulness is shown in us because Jesus became sin on the cross for us. He takes that sin that we are repenting from and he has dealt with it on the cross. And so we come forward to receive ashes upon our forehead in the shape of a cross. We don't have ashes dusted on top of our head. That's how they did it in the Old Testament. But we come and we have an ashen cross marked across our foreheads to acknowledge that we are going to die, to acknowledge that we are, are a repentant people, 
and to acknowledge that our only hope is in Christ alone through the cross dying for our sins, taking our sins away. And we respond because as St. Paul said, it is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to come and receive new life by coming and confessing your sins, by coming and receiving these ashes upon your forehead in the shape of a cross. These ashes are the very opposite of self-righteousness. For how can a cross declare my righteousness? How can a cross that represents Jesus' death, the cross that He died upon, be an act of me declaring my righteousness? To have that cross upon my forehead is me to claim Jesus' death on my behalf. It is Jesus who died for me. It is Jesus who went to the cross for me, for you, for the world. To have that cross marked upon your forehead in ashes signifying your very death and humility before the Lord is to also declare my only hope is in Jesus Christ risen from the dead, having died for my sins and raised for my justification, for my righteousness. Righteousness alone is in Christ. And another beautiful feature of this is something I've never thought about that much until just a few days ago. That this is the day that your baptismal cross becomes visible. For all of us who have been baptized as Lutherans into the Lutheran Church or into the Anglican Church or into Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox Church, in those baptisms, your forehead is marked with a cross. but it's invisible to the world. It is known before God, and yet on this day we get ashes put on the very spot where that cross was made, and it becomes visible for the world to see. Visible, and as you go out wearing that cross, the world sees that you are one who has been marked with Christ, the cross of Christ, and have been made a child of God through that marking, through that baptism, and you are responding by faith to receive that ashen cross and know that you are forgiven because you have died to your sin through baptism and been raised to new life in Christ. I read about an Orthodox monastery at Mount Athos that above the entryway of the, at the door, it says, if you die before you die, then you won't die when you die. That is what we're doing right now. We're dying to our old self before that old self dies physically. So that when that old self dies physically, that new man won't die, but will be raised up into new life in the resurrection from the dead. We own that because our deaths are on account of our unrighteousness. Our deaths are on account of our sinfulness. The act of that cross is the opposite of our self-righteousness. And yet our hearts twist it up and get knotted up but look in the mirror when you start feeling good about getting ashes on your forehead. Look in the mirror and remind yourself of what shape those ashes are. The shape of a cross. That is only by that cross that you can come to the Father. It is only by that cross that you can receive redemption. It is only by that cross that you will know the fullness of God's covenant faithfulness. His covenant love. The ashes are my death to come. The cross is my resurrection to come. The very shape of these ashes is the reminder that my only way in life is Jesus. Ashes for death, a cross that goes through death into life. 
That is what I will wear on my forehead this day. That is what you will wear on your forehead this day. There should be no note of self-righteousness right now. This mark recalls your baptism that says you have died to your sin in Christ and been raised to new life through His resurrection. That says you have been united through this holy water, through this Word of God. You have been united to Christ, not of your own doing, for you are a sinner. You may have even just simply been an infant when you were united and brought to the church to be baptized. So this mark has nothing to do with your ability to come to God. But it has everything to do with Jesus bringing you to God in Himself. This mark is you putting off your old self to death and bringing and coming into new life as has been gifted to you in baptism. That you are claiming that gift now. And yes, that should be our everyday life, remembering our baptism, but yet in this season we amplify it all. We turn it up to 11 to acknowledge that I am a sinner and need grace to be saved. The death that Jesus endured was the death I should have endured because of my sin, but He took it upon Himself so that I could be redeemed, so that you could be redeemed, so that all who come to Him in faith can be redeemed by His grace and mercy because our God is one full of mercy and compassion and will relent from disaster when His people turn to Him. Jesus died my death that I might have His very life. And so come and receive new life by remembering that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Remember that you will die this day and that you will die physically. It's not gloomy to think about that. That is life. But we have no reason to fear that death any longer because Jesus has passed through the veil of that death and into new life into a resurrected, glorified state that we all look forward to. And so death is no longer something we fear. Death is something that we simply proclaim, for through that death we will enter into the fullness and the consummation of a resurrected life and a renewed creation. And so we can embrace the fact that we will die because we have a hope of resurrection. And that ashen cross points us to that hope and points the world to the hope that is in Christ alone. And so may we declare through our ashen crosses that it is in Christ alone that we are saved. And Christ alone is our righteousness. And Christ alone is life eternal from God the Father fulfilling His covenant faithfulness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.